Good evening. You are listening to Three Moves Ahead. I am Len. I am your host for this week, and I am joined by our very good friend, PC Games In's Ian Boudreau. Hello, everybody. And we're going to be talking about the Royal Court DLC, the first major expansion for Crusader Kings 3, probably one of the biggest expansions Paradox has ever put out. Um, <laughs> I had to like separate out in my notes like what is actually a free feature and what's part of the expansion because it's a lot of stuff. Um, Ian, what are the what are the highlights of Royal Court? I think your big bullet points for Royal Court are, of course, the uh, the introduction of the sort of physical Royal Court space um, and all kinds of new story content that goes along with that. So the Royal Court is a room you can look at in Crusader Kings where all your characters get together. There are um, uh, spots that you can hang uh, new artifacts like tapestries or set or a, a new throne or um uh let's see um just the different kinds of artifacts weapons or uh or i, I think i found a uh a, a deer skull or a trophy to to hang on the wall so you can kind of adorn it in uh the way that you want and those are all going to have bonuses and uh, and different effects uh and the other big bullet point for uh the royal court is um the, a new approach to cultures and uh cultures in crusader kings can now uh be you can form hybrid cultures. There's all kinds of changes that go into the the cultural shift. I'm sure we'll talk about those, but uh, those are the, I think the two big high level points that have gone in, but there's, there's tons of stuff in here. Yeah. It's the first time that any paradox game, you know, we, we call them map staring games is kind of a joke, but uh, the first time I think they've really put you in the world this way, which was like, in a way, I guess it was kind of an adjustment, but also it just kind of felt right for Crusader Kings. Um, I guess Crusader Kings 3 kind of had already primed us for this because, you know, when you click on your character portrait, it looks like they're standing against this kind of painted background that has some depth to it and then the yeah. event pictures, too. Um, you have like the dynamic, uh, the, the the dynamic character models that sort of reflect changes that are happening. The age they uh, like when they're wounded or blinded or, uh, you know, have um, gout, which a lot of my characters seem to contract. Uh, you'll see that on their face. And um, and so, yeah, I think you're right. Like that, th this was all kind of the the pieces were in place for this to happen. And, and now they're all in a sort of medieval murdery dollhouse that you can look at, which is great. But uh, I do like that. The, the fact that that's there, I feel adds context to a lot of what's already uh, in the game. Just even if it's a uh, mental context, it, it places things and grounds them in a way that I, I've kind of been surprised at how effective it is. Right. Right. Like I think at least for me, I'm always telling myself these little stories in my head of like what's happening on the ground, even when I'm playing parts of Iron Eagle 4, which are you know la very much less character focused. Um, so it's nice to have, you know, I, I you can actually look into the world at ground level for really the first time. Um, and I also just for some reason, I really like the mechanic of just having people come to you with things you need to rule on. I yeah. remember uh, the, I don't know if you played the awakenings expansion for dragon age origins. Um, oh no, I was, never did. 
Yeah. That was one of my favorite parts of that is you become basically a, a noble um, of this small part of Ferelden and like between big quests you do you it's almost exactly how royal court works you have petitioners that come up and you have to make a decision about what to do um and i know in in ck3 like it, it would be like uh there's an event i've seen a few times where like the mayors of two different cities get into an argument over whose city is better and you have to either choose one of them or like i think if your diplomacy is high enough you can just tell them to stop arguing and uh and get like the good ending uh there's the the one that uh where the cult of the headless guy that one's great so, yeah. <laughs> says their saint's head like rolled through your kingdom or something and they want to go looking for it and your priest is like please tell them to leave and <laughs> but they'll yeah. get really mad if you don't let them so yeah there's there's some I'm, really I'm, good stories I'm really, really interested to see how that one plays out. And one of the things that kind of constrains your decision making is the stress level system that's uh, in Crusader right. Kings mm-hmm. 3. So so sometimes taking certain decisions will be very difficult or costly in terms of stress. And uh, and that was kind of why I decided to tell these two, these these weirdos to go pound sand uh, was it was going to stress <laughs> me out a lot to have them rooting around in the uh, through the castle. And a lot of people were going to think that I was a big pushover. So I, I, I told them to, to get lost, but um, that's another interesting system that kind of plays it, it, that's at play in the Royal court um, where you are taking these petitioners, but you're finding it's not just a matter of, you know, choose your own adventure. Like you are constrained in ways by the way that your character has developed or who they are. Um, and, and I find that that mostly, uh, is uh enforced kind of through stress penalties or um reputational benefit uh i guess both buffs and penalties to uh, the way that other players or other characters think of you yeah it's really made arbitrary a much more uh difficult trait to live with than it was previously because now when you have those um scenarios where there's kind of like a, a a middle compromise choice that sort of satisfies everyone even yeah. if you have the stats to unlock it um the fact that you're arbitrary means no you want to choose one city over the other because right that's well, you're gonna have arbitra- a, like a nervous breakdown yeah. because you yeah. yeah you did the <laughs> yeah uh, so yeah you were which you can choose to do yeah that's, arbitrary that could be enough, interesting yeah. too uh, yeah that is funny too. Cause like there have been situations where like, I've wanted to do something that like sounds exciting, but the game's kind of like, oh, I'm sorry, but you're a huge coward. So that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Another one that I really like um, that I think helps this era come alive more uh, is every once in a while. I think it's tied to your steward. If your steward has a high enough stewardship skill, um, they'll give you the option to basically do sort of like a census of your kingdom and yeah. it's it's very expensive one-time cost but then it gives you a like very significant boost to your taxes um which i know when we were we're talking about uh we we're talking with brett Devereux, who uh I, I think we want to have back on the show soon uh he talks about being blind like a state in his blog series and like how do you even know what taxes you know all, all these peasants are supposed to be paying um, and that event to me kind of 
symbolizes that like within the logic of Crusader Kings 3, the taxes you are collecting on a regular basis are, are probably not all of the taxes that you should be owed. And then, you know, you get this event where someone goes out with a book and is like, yeah, these people have four times as much land as they actually uh, said they had under cultivation. And uh, yeah, we, we shook them down and got the rest of the taxes. So yeah, well, go. that's, I, I've always <laughs> thought that that was an interesting thing. It's a little bit abstracted behind some of the numbers, but like there yeah. are some things in Crusader Kings where it's suggestive of that. Like, well, you can send your, uh, it is your, your uh, steward or maybe marshal, but uh, to a, a County and it'll, increase the amount of taxes that you get there for a little while. And like, it's like, okay, so you can be, you can be good at collecting taxes in this game, which yeah. I think is always kind of implied. Well, this is, you just go around with some frighteners and, and uh, shake right, people down right. a little bit harder. And, <laughs> but now you can kind of see that. And I really like that too, is, is what this really makes explicit is that like the decision-making that you're uh, engaged in really as a ruler is all taking place in this one room. And uh, like you, point out you this is like if you can't see it in this room or you don't know it i mean this isn't the, the, how would a ruler really know at this time that like uh you know how to make a decision so i love that about this that it, it really i guess it, it it brings that part of it into into very sharp focus and i i i, I don't know it, it really adds i think this this great mood or sense to the game that uh that maybe was has been missing just from the map staring perspective yeah you know what i realized at some point about crusader kings that really changed how i think about it while i'm playing is that uh ultimately if you think about it this is a game where you are the head of a crime family running a very elaborate protection racket. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Like if yeah. you think about it, like I'm Aragorn and I'm the noble King of Gondor and I'm here to protect everyone from the orcs. It's like, okay, that, that doesn't quite add up. But uh, if you think about it, it's almost like a ma mafia simulator. Uh, <laughs> suddenly things come together. Um, and uh yeah, it's, you know, sending sending people out to do shakedowns and stuff like that. That's basically what a medieval lord is. So that's it. Yeah, it's yeah. Just, that's that's the, I guess that's maybe what the what like uh, traditional ideas of how the mafia is set up are based on. Anyway, it's kind of a feudal system, yeah. I suppose. Yeah, yeah. So that makes that, that tracks. Yeah, I mean, you don't I guess you don't have you don't have the cops unless you count like maybe the church or the Holy Roman Empire. Uh, there might not be anybody who's like a higher legitimate authority that you have to work around, but yeah, it's, it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. I mean, um, you, you sometimes have a reason to arrest people and put them in prison. Uh, it's, and the only thing constraining you is like, are people going to get mad at me? Right. So yeah. That's, that's it. And your stats, which that's actually where it's good to be arbitrary because if you're arbitrary, you can just imprison people and take their titles for no reason and you're not going to sweat it. It's just like, yeah, that's I do what I want. It's yeah. Uh, what's what's <laughs> my life justice? is dope and I do dope shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Exactly. Um, some of the other events that I, I've seen, uh, though, kind of tie into the new culture system um, where you'll have a vassal come to you and be like, Hey, I want to do racism. And you have to either say, yeah, let's do a racism or yes. uh, let's not do a racism. Uh, 
Uh, that was, which... I think, the <laughs> first decision that I, that I I had when I so I'd started as one of those rags to riches uh, right. stories, and uh, we were trying to like move a bunch of Normans into Sicily and establish like all these like basically unlanded um, Normans wound up in the south of Italy, and um, so I was like, okay, well, let's test this new culture system out. We're gonna you know try to uh, adopt uh, or kind of create this new Sicilian identity with the Normans. And the first thing, once I'd established the kingdom title and the and the the, uh, the court ro- opens up, that my first petitioner is my daughter, I think, who is just out of her mind because she is incredibly racist against the uh, some of the like one of the Muslim rulers that uh, was actually like in control of one of the counties on the western side of the island, so. Mm-hmm. That was that was decision number one was deal with your racist daughter. Yeah, there's there's one where like they'll get mad if you have a vassal that is not of your primary culture. There's another one for like culture in counties where they're like, oh, you know, the uh, the Slovenes over in, you know, whatever. or uh, They think they're pretty hot shit. I think we need to throw a parade. To show them that, yeah, <laughs> you know, we need to we need to throw a check power parade to show them that we're the superior culture. Um, yeah. But your other option is uh, because of the new culture mechanics um, is you can actually build up cultural acceptance with that culture. You can learn their language, which I love as a language nerd. Um, I actually got a character who spoke 14 languages by the time she died which was pretty awesome. Um, And uh, both of those things will reduce the penalty that other characters in your realm have for being of a different culture. Um, But then also you can, you can hybridize with a culture that you have gained a certain amount of acceptance with. And it sounds like that's kind of what you're doing in, in Sicily. That was the goal. We hadn't quite reached it yet, but yeah, before everything fell apart on that, we're on that run and I started over in uh, (laughs) Scotland, but um, Yeah. I did actually wind up uh, hybridizing the Scots and Gaelic cultures um, as King Malcolm. That was an interesting run. And it, it's a, it's a neat thing. When, once you do, you get to pick um, like, what is the language of this hybrid culture? So you, you pick one right. uh, pillar from each, right? Like there's one is the language. And then one is what the legal tradition, I think. Um, it's a, and, they call it heritage, which I guess. Yeah. In, translating it to other paradox games would be like your culture group like you will have an affinity with even if yeah, you're not okay. speaking a, even if you're not speaking a germanic language anymore you will have an affinity with other cultures that share germanic heritage so yeah so but that yeah that's <clears throat> sorry uh no yeah that's it just a really um interesting process and trying to guide your uh, culture toward that acceptance is just such an interesting way to play crusader Kings just seems like that's not been my focus most of the time. Like while I'm, you know, figuring out which wars to declare and and things like that, like I'm, I'm, I've mostly kind of left the culture stuff to run on its own and this makes it a lot more interesting and I've wanted to dig in. Yeah, it was kind of like when Northern Lords came out last year and they added the like Varangian adventure thing where you can basically pick up your whole, you know, Viking kingdom and just plop it somewhere else. It felt like this is a half done, halfway done mechanic, like because, mm-hmm. well, it's cool that I can do that. 
Um, when that happened in real life, what would generally happen is that the Norse invaders would assimilate to some degree into the local culture and create something new. Whether that's the Normans or, you know, uh, to some degree, the Kievan Rus, I know that's disputed, so I probably shouldn't well. <laughs> shill for it too hard. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, you couldn't really do that. Like you could either, OK, I'm going to adopt Slavic culture or I'm going to convert everybody to my culture. And uh, now you can make a hybrid, uh, which I really like. It's like, yeah, we still dress like Vikings, but we speak, you know, Hindi now because we're in India and uh, we we use there. We wear you can choose which clothes you wear. You can choose what your soldiers look like. Um, You can tell it to use names from either of the parent cultures or both, uh, which can get pretty funny. Um, And same with like coat of arms. I told them they can use elements from either coat of arms. Um, And uh, yeah, it's it's a really awesome system. Um, you even get to ch- like pick your map color and like what the adjective for your culture is. So it's, cool. Gosh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then uh, you can also diverge too. like if you're, you know, if you're in a large empire, like a large homogenous empire and you've got your little um, duchy and you don't like you know, the cultural bonuses that your lieges culture gives you, you could split off from that. So that's also really cool. Um, now, how, I think you've uh, done a little bit more looking into exactly how this breaks down between the actual expansion and the, and the patch. So how much, like, what is it in the patch that goes to everybody, whether you've got the expansion or not? Like there, I know there are cultural changes that have been included in the patch. But I'm, it's, I'm unclear on like what is kind of gated off for the expansion. Yeah, so the customization is what is actually behind the the paywall. So okay, the cultures like the new culture system with like the cultural pillars and like language and uh, heritage and and all that stuff. Everybody gets that now. Every culture in the world gets that. I said it's almost like having a flavor pack for the entire world because, man, there's a lot. It's, <laughs> like yeah. there's, there's a lot of cultural pillars and there's like some that are specific to specific cultures, which is pretty cool. Um, and uh, also the events that are basically carried over from CK2, like the Normans becoming the Normans or the Normans becoming the English or Norse splitting off into Swedish, Danish, Norwegian. Um, those will still fire whether you have the expansion or not. Uh, okay. But like the dynamic hybrid cultures and like cultural divergence. And I think uh, reforming your culture, which is basically if you're the culture head, Every time you reach a new era, late medieval, you know, high medieval, early medieval, you can add a new um, tenant or pillar to. I forget the, what all these nouns actually mean. Um, I always have to look through the the nested tool <laughs> tips to make sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Every era you can, if you're the culture head, you can add a new bonus to your culture. And I think that's also locked behind the expansion. So. Okay. But. uh yeah, even if you don't buy it, like step cultures now don't take attrition in uh step provinces. Like there there's some really significant stuff hiding in there. 
um, the Byzantines have that Eastern Roman legacy thing where basically they get less, they get fewer levies, but their standing armies are larger and fight better. Um, so yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Just, I mean, across the board, this is just such an enriching thing. That's, I guess what strikes me about it is that it, it touches so much of what the game is kind of no matter where or how you like to play. So, uh, there's, yeah. there's some sort of like, th- this just adds a depth to it that, uh, I think is just really welcome. And it, it makes it feel, I mean, I think Crusader Kings three already felt sick, like meaningfully different from Crusader Kings two granted, but this oh, yeah. does like almost, it's weird to talk about like next gen in terms of, uh, paradox games, but this does kind of give it that extra oomph that kind of feels like a generational, you know, uh, distinction. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it kind of feels complete to me now. Like I, it, it's enough of a step forward that I almost feel like 1.0 almost feels like a beta compared to this. Sure. Like it, it, it doesn't feel like these are like expansion feature like what would generally be thought of as expansion features it just feels like everything here fits perfectly into the base game like if the if you asked me what what type of expansion is this like eve 4 has a trade expansion and a war expansion and all that stuff this is the crusader kings 3 expansion for crusader kings 3 (laughs) like you know that's exactly what i I guess the comparison that i i was going to try to make to people when they asked was that this feels, and this is a totally different kind of game, but this feels like apex for Arma three. Like you can't really have like Arma three had a lot of stuff going on and it was great. But when, once apex came along, you kind of had to have that. Um, And it was, it was important because for, you know, for multiplayer purposes, but it just added so much to the, like to the toolkit and what you were capable of doing that it didn't feel it, it had been fine up to that date, but once you had Apex out, you kind of had to have Apex because that was the Arma 3 experience at that point. That was kind of the baseline and you'd add to that. But And that's what this feels like. The Royal Court feels like that kind of um, addition, that kind of expansion, that it just enriches everything else. And this is the new baseline from which, you know, everything else will kind of start. Right, right. The other thing that they've added, the other kind of big bullet point that we haven't talked about yet is they've uh, they brought back the inventory system, uh, which was originally introduced in Monks and Mystics for Crusader Kings 2. So pretty late in the CK2 life cycle. Um, And uh, they've sort of enhanced it a little bit that you now have like these inspired characters who can show up and make you really cool stuff. Um, I feel like I have way too many armorers coming to my court. See, <laughs> it's like, like inspired is a pretty broad term because sometimes yeah. they're like, sometimes these are people who are inspired to take your money and rip you off and right. just go like, I want to go to Europe and drink for several years. Yeah. Uh, so, and I, I've, I, I think I've wound up spending money on expeditions like that as often as I wound up with some kind of priceless artifact. But yeah, it's yeah. it's neat. Like these people will show up and say, "Hey, look, I've got a great idea. I want to make a a particular kind of axe, or I want to make you uh, some armor." And uh, and there's a, for each one of these things, there's a storyline that just it pops in traditional format. You know, oh, oh, 
as time goes by. You'll have to make decisions as far as do you want to keep financing this expedition? Do you want them to cut some corners? Do you, uh, you know, want to? I I had uh, there's one character I had. I'm trying to remember if this was uh, Duncan in Scotland, but my wife kept wanting to have input on the creation of this uh, this artifact that we were commissioning. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and so it would it would every time it would stress out the artificer. Uh, and so I had to kind of like make a call as to whether or not I wanted to say, honey, kind of, could you go easy? Like, let's just let them, you know, work. Or <laughs> do I want to like, kind of say, oh yeah, yeah. No, listen to her. She's got great ideas. Um, but every time that I had like an artifact made, uh, in this particular playthrough, she'd want to get involved somehow. It was really interesting. It, it's almost dwarf fortressy in that way where you've got, you know, like, it's almost like somebody has a fey mood. And yeah, they're going to uh -huh. create something. And it just, it reminded me of that pleasantly because you wind up with something at the end, but it's, uh, it's exciting to find out what it's eventually going to be. Yeah. And there's like some sort of hidden number behind the scenes for like quality of the artifact. So, you know, if your wife or whoever is like a, you know, a, a master blacksmith for some reason, like letting them interfere might, actually increase the potential quality but it also might fuck it up which is uh which is always kind of interesting um and yeah there's so there's armor weapons regalia which is you know like scepters and stuff like that uh crowns and then you have trinkets which are kind of like the wild card slot like it could be like a lucky coin um books also fit in that um books can also be displayed in your court and then i think you can get like furniture miscellaneous furniture which is like statues and benches you've got your throne i think we both ended up getting the stone of scone which is yes. pretty cool that, and that's um, you can you can look at your uh your ruler your king sitting on this yeah. throne and yeah it's really neat i'm I, I'm I'm curious to go look at the uh, the Carolingian world and see if uh, they actually have the the, uh, the throne of Charlemagne modeled as it actually appears, which is it's the dinkiest looking throne you've ever seen. Like if you <laughs> if you imagine yeah. throne the throne of Charlemagne uh, and what you you would think it would look like, it's it's actually very much the opposite of that. I think he was trying to make a point that he wasn't he wasn't about. Uh, he wasn't about that ice and that bling. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's uh, there's like some legendary stuff. There's some quote unquote legendary stuff uh, like one of my adventurers brought me back Excalibur. But then in the description for Excalibur, it says, you know, there's a lot of these floating around. So you better make sure none of your courtiers uh, uh, see someone else displaying an Excalibur. Um because, uh, you know, it's the Middle Ages. There were there were a lot of forgeries. Um, I kind of like that. The relics of the true cross that would have come together to make something that was several yeah. hundred feet tall. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. So I like because Crusader Kings 2 played a little bit more with like, oh, this is actually this legendary artifact and it's going to give you like plus 20 military skill or whatever. And this is more like. Yeah, I mean, you got some court grandeur and some prestige from it, but it's uh, 
we're not going to say that this is actually Excalibur from the legend. Uh, right. Yeah. You don't have, yeah. I mean, I guess there's space for you to get something like Mjolnir or something like that. I mean, modders are going to have a good time with this, I imagine. Um, but uh, the interesting thing about uh, artifacts too, is that like, you know, war banners or something that you capture during sieges or, or battles mm-hmm. uh, that can be hung in your court that they do just as a side note, this does get a little funny and gamey at certain points. Cause it's like having a uh, particular banner in your courtroom means that your spearman upkeep is lower for some reason, or yeah, like, yeah. There, there's weird little bonuses like that. It's fine. But, uh, um, but interestingly, the, these artifacts that you can get, whether they're, you know, items that you uh, equip on your person or, or put in the throne room, um, people can have claims on these. I mean, generally they're stolen or taken from somewhere if you don't commission them. So um, they can, uh, these can lead to new sources of conflict. Uh, They're reasons to go to war with somebody in some cases, which I think is really neat. So, yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, they're, they're great gifts too. They make, you know, yeah. uh, Saints finger bones. Like I don't have space for this. We only have four pedestals. Uh, yeah. in the throne room. So <laughs> we've got a spirit. Give, give it to a vassal so he'll stop joining factions against me. Um, I also commissioned a lot of armor to give to like my heir and like my secondary heir because it's like I don't want them to die in battle, and armor can actually uh reduce your chances of dying in battle. So that's yeah, uh, that's always a good way to spend it. Um, but I did kind of feel like once you filled up all those slots, like. By about 200, 250 years into the game, I was just telling these inspired individuals to go away. It's like, I'm yeah. good. I got everything I want. Um, Just just, you know, we're, we're, we're good here. We don't uh, I'm going to put up a big no soliciting sign. It's like deleting um, <laughs> NFT related emails from your inbox. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um. Which, like, I don't know, it'd be kind of cool if there was a reason to keep commissioning artifacts later into the game. Like, oh, you know, we discovered Wootz steel from India, so that sword that you had made in 900 is not that great now. In 1300, and uh, we need a new, we're going to make you a new one that's better. Um, But as far as I know, it doesn't really tie into the technology system like that. Yeah, I know, I know that artifacts do degrade over time, especially if you don't have an antiquarian um, on staff. By the way, there's all kinds of new staff positions that you can hire oh, for yeah. the court, which is really cool. But so they do degrade over time, especially if you're using them. But I have not run into that being an issue yet. Um, so like yeah. you say, there, there there hasn't been kind of like once you fill everything up and have got some nice uh, fancy things. Yeah, you can kind of stop looking for fancy stuff, but I, which I, I, I'm given to believe that's not really how it worked in, in, uh, real right. Life. Yeah. Well, and you always, you have the option to repair it once it degrades to a certain point, which is generally cheaper than making a new one. So if you have like a really badass sword, I don't really know why you wouldn't just keep repairing it. Like it might've been interesting if like, okay, every time you repair it, the maximum durability goes down a little bit. So eventually you're going to have to retire it and you can actually turn a practical artifact into a throne room artifact. Like you could take your grandfather's sword or whatever and like put it on display. And, and that's 
you know, an option, but I don't, again, I don't see why you would do that when you can it just does... keep sharpening the sword <laughs> and using Forever. it as a yeah. sword. Yeah. I've, that would be an interesting system though. Like yeah. to have, you know, those practical like inventory items eventually become antiques that you can't right. use practically, but they do have some, I don't know, grandeur value or other bonus to, you know, your family or something uh, for sentimental value. That would, that'd be a, a neat development, I guess, to see maybe in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of my favorites though, is that, uh, so of all the inspire or inspirations that you can fund, my favorite was the adventurers one where it's like, they're not, they're not coming to you with like plans for a crown or something. They want to go on an expedition somewhere, which could be, yeah. you know, hundreds of miles away. You could be in, you know, England and they want to go to Egypt. Um, and, uh, they can send back some pretty interesting stuff. Like there's an event where they get attacked by bandits. And if they have a high enough prowess, they can send you back the bandit leader's skull. <laughs> so I had like a bandit leader skull on display in my throne room. Um, Highly metal. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Uh, uh, this is where I've gotten in trouble because that's these adventurers that wind up ripping me off most of the time. Like oh, they'll yeah. say, yeah, I've got this plan to go to Europe and look for cool stuff. And then I, uh, so I, I, I was like, sure. I think it's a 50 gold, you know, uh, embark cost for that uh, trip. And it, it turns out like two years later, I get uh, word that this person has never left Scotland. In fact, they just went <laughs> Uh, down the road and uh, straight to the pub and they have been there the entire time. Um, so, <laughs> like, yeah, I, uh, I, I, I actually got uh, an event like that where it was, I was playing in Ireland at the time and it said they wanted to, to go on an expedition to Western Europe. And I was like, homie, we're in Western Europe. <laughs> you yeah. want, you want a hundred gold to go down to the shops? What, <laughs> what's, what's going on here? Yeah. So, um, yeah, the, and they the, can also die too, which, you know, I, I've had a couple adventurers die because I told them to be brave and then they were and then they got killed. So um, this was, uh, the, I did wind up salvaging this expedition, uh, this booze hound who had just been drinking for apparently two years straight. Uh, she never found anything, but what I did get out of it was like, she thought I was great like her opinion of me was like just pegged at a hundred so i hired her as the ex uh, the antiquarian and like she wound up picking up a, a lot of expertise and was able to say oh no that this this uh this inspired person or this adventure they're they're gonna con you so don't don't go with that uh so uh it, that's exactly what i would have said to convince you to give me more money <laughs> yeah well i mean she yeah. i did hire her on staff i mean uh, she she wound up like a bandit on this uh whole deal but uh yeah I, don't know, I feel like i did wind up getting some benefit out of it but it was hilarious i i laughed out loud when i got that message like oh yeah she's never <laughs> left she's still in town. that is yeah that's pretty great uh yeah, the other thing with all these staff positions you can hire, you've got, you know, court poets, you've got court musicians. Uh, there's bodyguards, which is an interesting one because it it gives like some percentage chance that if you were going to die in battle, they'll die instead of you. Um, oh, nice. I didn't useful. realize that was what that did, but that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, they, they add to your grandeur, which you can also increase by... Uh, 
you know, hiring more servants or making the, you know, guest bedrooms nicer, putting some, yes. going down to they, the thrift store, putting some art on the walls, uh, things like that. I'm putting more, uh, yeah. Putting more money into your, your, uh, your feast budget or you're just, your yeah. meals. Yeah. The Mono, having... monogrammed, monogrammed hand towels in the privy, all that kind of <laughs> right. stuff. I swear, um, I, I don't know what it is, but like I was speaking of privies, but I've had the event pop, I think every playthrough where oh, yeah, people start yeah. complaining about the, the, I guess the septic tank banking, uh, backing up or whatever, but there's a terrible smell in the, <laughs> in the guest yeah. quarters or something. Yeah. Yeah. And actually if you have a, if you have a Royal architect, that's another uh, court position that you can fill. Uh, there's some interesting plumbing related options that you get with that event, uh, which, uh, again, it's it, it puts you in the world because, you know, it's where do where does everyone's poop go in this castle? That's, you know, that's a question we need to answer. It is. Um, are we throwing it out the window like it's, you know, 1353? What's going on here? Um, so, I like that. I like just real quick on that. I really do feel like that these events and like this kind of mundane and maybe like the more humorous stuff that's happening with the Royal court, like that enhances the, the stuff that's the, the flavor events like, Oh, Hey, uh, someone found a cat. Do you want to have a cat in your uh, courtroom? I mean, that's, that's been in there since yeah. the beginning, but all of those or the, or two uh, courtiers gossiping in the courtyard uh, come across, like maybe you're going to uncover a secret on somebody. But all of that now has like a place to to happen in your sort of mind palace of your game palace. Like the way that I now I've got like a place to imagine that happening. And it's just, you know, in the courtyard, uh, that's probably around and to the right off the uh, off the throne room. Right. All that stuff like actually has like a locus to happen around. And I, I can't emphasize enough how that really just brings it alive in a just such a great way. Yeah, it really makes me wish that they would just go full mountain blade and just let me run around the castle. That would that'd be so maybe. cool. Um maybe someday, maybe Crusader Kings 4. Um but Yeah, I like grandeur for kind of two reasons. Uh one is it kind of acts as a break on snowballing a little bit because um the the more land you have the more grandeur you're expected to have and you'll get all kinds of penalties if you're not meeting expectations so when you're balancing you know court grandeur and like all these court positions that i need to fill and my servants and my my catering budget and also my men at arms because as my realm gets bigger i need more men on my payroll to keep my vassals from getting weird ideas yeah. Uh, it's, it's kind of just a nice check on, on sort of that mid late game snowballing that can happen. Um, and I also like that it just can reward you for playing a smaller kingdom. Like if I decide I want to be the King of Hungary and I want to just be the King of Hungary, I can work on getting my grandeur up to level 10 and then I'll be rewarded for being so far above. I think I was, you know, the number one, uh, court in the world even though my kingdom was actually quite small and you get you know a lot of prestige and stuff for that which i thought was uh, a nice alternate progression system aside from just conquering more land 
there's there yeah there is now the world fanciness index to uh cont- <laughs> yes. contend with it's just really cool um which also ties into the language system now too because like if you adopt a language that is more prestigious than yours like if you just decide your court language is french now that can also yeah. give you a bonus to grandeur <laughs> it's so uh, cool yeah which is uh which is nice and uh um, I- and then there's this, well, okay. I don't know where else to slot this story in, but like one of the other just great Royal court things that has happened. Uh, this was in Scotland. Again, I, I played as the Malcolm, the third starts. I'd hired a, uh, a court physician, which early on in my crusader Kings three career, I learned was a really good thing to do, but she, uh, so she wound up, saving my life many, many times, whether it was from battle injuries. I think I caught smallpox twice. I had gout. She cured all these things. (laughs) I was fine. Uh, Anyway, Malcolm eventually died at a ripe old age and his son Duncan took over and she hated Duncan's guts. Just absolutely (laughs) despised this kid. And it was probably because he was lazy and craven and just a piece of shit in general. Yeah. um, Anyway, so this is a problem. Uh, The court uh, physician, uh, very powerful uh, potential plot agent, right? So um, I decided, well, I need to get a new court physician. I can't have a court physician who has a negative 100 opinion of me. She's not going to help me get better. <laughs> uh, right. So, so yeah, I hired uh, a new, this is all stuff that could have happened in Crusader Kings already, but I hired a new uh, court physician. This uh, enraged uh, our our former court physician, and she showed up in the courtroom as a petitioner uh, to demand uh, that she get her job back. Uh, mm-hmm. I was given the option, uh, said, well, if you're going to jest in this way, I may as well pay you. <laughs> and so uh, Duncan had her turned into the court jester. And so this poor woman who was, I think, in her 70s uh, and yeah. had served my late father with distinction for decades. Uh, as as a distinguished physician, somebody who was advancing the art of medieval medicine, I'm sure, uh, had cured <laughs> smallpox and gout in a ruler who had no like really redeeming characteristics about him, uh, uh, was reduced to making fart jokes. And this was another story that popped up. She really did come up with a routine that involved uh, farting. Uh, and but you, I could whenever I opened my courtroom. There's this woman standing in a court jester outfit, clapping her hands and doing it. Just, I did feel very bad about it, but it was also extremely funny. So, yeah. Well, and sometimes you'll have the vassal who's just a dick constantly. And, you know, you can, you can just make him the court jester. And then I feel very good about that. I feel good seeing them have to dress like a ridiculous fool. Like, I, that's better than murdering them, honestly. It's like it is. Life... It's arguably, I would say, a more savage burn. It is. It really is. Um, it's it's great. Um, the other one I've seen fairly often is that if you give one of your kids any any position, basically, uh, whether that's on your council or whether it's one of the minor court titles, um, all your other kids are going to show up as petitioners and be like, "Why did you give them?" this cool job and not me. I want, I want a job now. Um, uh, 10 of 10 for realism on that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, if you have a very large uh, family, this can get to be a problem quickly and they can develop rivalries between each other. 
because someone got passed over for a position or something like that. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it adds a lot more to the uh, dynamic storytelling and and sort of the balance between. Uh, meritocracy and nepotism that I think is kind of one of the core gameplay concerns in Crusader Kings. Um, yeah. Which is great. Um, so there's one other kind of uh, story that has come out of the release of this expansion that I'm curious to hear your take on. I think we I think we have a similar take on this, but uh, basically it got review bombed because it's Paradox's first $30 expansion. I think the yeah. last the most expensive one previously was $20. So it's, you know, a $10 price jump uh, is something that was kind of a sticker shock for a lot of people, I think. And uh, they're saying it doesn't have enough features or whatever. It's just a flavor pack, which I this 45 minutes we've spent talking about it, I think kind of <laughs> disproves that. Right. Um, but what's your take on this, uh, this whole uh, kind of, uh, I'll say vocal minority uproar to the price of the expansion. Like, I think when I saw that that was happening, I had a kind of hip fire reaction to it, but I want to be circumspect about it because I'm in the privileged position of generally not having to pay for these things. So, right. Um, I don't, I recognize that I don't have necessarily the perspective that somebody who had already paid $60 or, I mean, this is on game pass as well. So there's other ways to, to get Crusader and Kings, but also if you bought the Royal edition, this was included. Yeah. So, which I think was a hundred dollars at launch. So yeah. It's, well, yeah. So, so there are different ways to, to have gotten this back, but it's not, it's granted this is expensive. Uh, I just think that, um, it's just not helpful to think of this as in the way that uh, it's not a piece of Crusader Kings 2 DLC. It's not following that model. Um, and I think it's clear that the studio isn't pursuing that, at least not right now. Um, so, you know, instead of a couple DLCs per year, um, we're looking at, you know, kind of a transformational, I would argue, uh, expansion to the game. And again, this is like Apex. This is the, that's the closest analog that I can find to this, which was also a pretty expensive um, expansion when it launched. Uh, and I would say it was worth it. Um, I don't think there's a way to play Crusader Kings that's not going to be enhanced in some way by the Royal Court. I really don't. Um, so yes, I think this is worth it. I recognize that it is. It's a bit of a. It's a bit more of an ask. Yeah, but I honestly don't think you'd be sorry to pick this up if you're a fan of Crusader Kings at all. Yeah, it is. It is like an old school expansion pack, which I think yeah. you know maybe a lot of these people. <laughs> who are uh who are writing steam reviews maybe weren't around when that was like the model for for everything but you know i i would i would sooner compare it to like starcraft brood war you know like yeah. that was that was like 30 dollars when that came out um so yeah i think i think you're totally right that it's it's not it's uh it's it's in a different sorry <laughs> 
Casey is uh, kind of freaking out here. I think everybody's having dog problems. It's, it's yeah, it's pet uh, problem the, uh, day. Yeah, they went to the Mina School of Podcast uh, Disruption. Um, yeah, um, yeah, I, I don't even really put it in the same category as as most other Paradox DLCs. I think it's most comparable to something like maybe Art of War um, for EU4 if we're trying to think about something that was as transformational. Um, yeah. I mean, in general, like Crusader Kings two DLC was, I mean, I just remember uh, reading an interview with Frederick Wester where he was kind of saying, well, he was responding to somebody bringing up the fact that whatever the, the ultimate price tag was, if you were to buy all the DLC for Crusader Kings two. And he was like, well, you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> Like you're supposed to get the stuff that you like, like that you're interested in, um, right. you know, pick a couple that you think are, are, are neat. And they, they plug in, in kind of niche ways to the base game. If you're into that particular culture or storyline, like sunset invasion or something like that, like these, what if scenarios or, or, you know, maybe you want to get involved in uh, the occult stuff or whatever, but that might not be interesting to you. So skip it if you want to. This is a different kind of expansion. This really does just enhance and flesh out the core game in a meaningful and important way. Um, that's why I've tried to stress that like, I don't think there's a way to play this game that isn't going to be elevated and enhanced by the Royal Court. So it is, it's just a different approach to making an expansion than what I think a lot of Paradox fans have gotten used to over the past uh, you know decade. Right. And, you know... I, I could maybe say that, you know, maybe it should have been 20 or maybe it should have been 25. I don't know. Um, I, I again, we don't pay for these, so that's important to disclose. But I feel like I would have happily paid $30 for this uh, if that was the asking price, considering what you get from it. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's interesting to see this changeover where, it, you know, it's Stellaris has been basically doing the same thing where they'll have these big expansions that f affect everyone. And then in between that, they'll add in like these little story packs and like uh, species packs where it's like, yeah, if you don't want to play plant people, there's no reason to buy the plant people uh, DLC or whatever. Um, so yeah, I, I like the idea of alternating between those two kind of things where yeah. this one might not interest you. So you can skip it. And then the next one's going to be stuff for everybody. And then there's going to be another one that is, is kind of optional based on if you are interested in the part of the world that it's based on. I think hearts of iron and EU four combine tend to combine those where the, it'll be an expansion that's for everyone and also a flavor pack for a specific region. Although EU four has done some like third Rome and, uh, golden century that were more focused but uh yeah i think this is a better model overall um yeah <clears throat> it, it seems like a more i don't know i don't have any special insight into the way that the team is structured or you know who's working on what but having everybody kind of this this does seem like it just it involved um every cell in the crusader kings uh development team um, right. And having stuff that that really does kind of, I don't know, it, it really brings the rest of the game together and makes it feel more centered and, and cohesive. So um, seeing that is it's exciting. And 
yeah, I, I, there's plenty of time left for the, those kind of more focused packs. Um, and having one of these every once in a while, I think is going to be uh, important for the long-term life of the game. The other thing that I saw as sort of like a rebuttal to, you know, the, the review bombing and stuff is that is there's sort of like this implied understanding with especially people who have been around since like Victoria 2 or even earlier that like uh, when you pay for a Paradox DLC, and this is actually very like practically true as well, um, you're basically also funding the creation of all the stuff that everybody gets in the free patch yeah whether they they pay for it or not and that's kind of how i looked at it before i was you know on the you know the dlc distribution press list is like if i buy an eu4 expansion like uh, mary nostrum i think is one that i remember where like the the patch features were really cool and the expansion features were eh, not that great it's like, yeah, but this is also just me kind of like tipping the developers for all this cool yeah. stuff that we got on the free patch, because otherwise this, they'd have to probably charge a, a subscription or something. They can't keep putting out all this free stuff for for free. So it's this is the yeah, this is the um, like super backer or like elevated Patreon supporter tier. <laughs> like that's what yeah. like buying these. And I still buy every single piece of total war dlc for oh yeah games that i like even I, I there's so many of those that i've never played but just based oh, on yeah. like i like this game and i want to get i remember there was actually a story when starcraft 2 was kind of winding down uh people were begging for like cosmetics or anything that they could buy just to to signal their support for ongoing development of the game like they wanted some right. way and they uh -huh. didn't have it and so they were trying to figure out like how to uh give money to blizzard for meaningless game stuff just to make sure that the game that they liked stayed alive. And so, yeah, I, this is an opportunity to do that. And I'm always have the option not to as well. Like if you like the game, you can continue liking the game. That's okay. For sure. Um, I have a couple small criticisms of Royal court, um, which I kind of understand why. So one thing is that you only get a Royal court if you are King tier or higher. Yeah. Um, and it uh disabled for tribal rulers, uh, which I think they did for performance reasons. I feel like I heard that somewhere. But also there's a mod on the Steam Workshop right now that enables royal courts for dukes, and the whole world breaks uh <laughs> when oh, no. you turn that on. Um, like everybody ends up speaking Tibetan just because it's the most prestigious, because there's way more Tibetan dukes with high prestige than any other culture. So you'll see like, All right, I mean, you know, this sounds great English. actually. Yeah. The court language in England is Tibetan. For, like it clearly when you, when you turn on Royal courts for Dukes, it's uh, kind of, a, it, it creates some, a lot of unintended consequences. Um, if they did it for performance reasons, I totally understand that. Um, also tribal rulers, I kind of feel like should get their own version of this. Too. Yeah, at some that would point. be really cool, too. Yeah, if it was just like the royal court, but there's some furs on the walls like uh, that, that doesn't quite make sense. It should be more about feasting and dueling and uh, yeah, handing out treasure to your warriors. Uh, I think they should yeah have their own special uh, tribal court type thing. Um, so I I'm, can see why they wouldn't they wouldn't 
include them in this. It would be great though, to see some like, you know, kind of uh, less prestigious kind of space for Dukes, like some, like, uh, for some reason I'm in my head, I've got like the first season of Blackadder in my head, just imagining. Yeah. Yeah. Some like seller or something where you're scheming. (laughs) Well, the, the reason it kind of bummed me out initially is that like, uh, one thing I really like to do is I like to play as like a super Duke within a larger kingdom where I am the real power behind the throne and I don't have a lot of land, but I'm, I'm, I am, uh, you know, I've twisted my liege's arm to where like, I'm not paying any taxes and I don't have to send in any levies and all this stuff. And, uh, um, I think that the grandeur system would play really well with that because you could be like, Oh, I'm, I'm way more prestigious than the King is. So, you know, everyone really knows who the, the real top guy is. Um, so that, that kind of bummed me out. I don't know how you would solve it in terms of performance. Um, I speculated on my other podcast about tying it to that Palatinate contract that you can get. Okay. Where it's, it's basically the do whatever I want. (laughs) It's basically the Ron Swanson. I can do whatever I want piece of paper. Uh, you can get your, your liege to change your contract to a where you're a Palatinate and you can, you're now just kind of basically a practically independent Duke within his realm. Uh, which That's is nice. see the equivalent in, yeah. in games journalism is editor at large. That's the yeah. <laughs> Palatinate uh, right, contract right. that everybody, everybody wants. Yeah. That's, that's like a dream job. Yeah. So <laughs> any, any uh, journalism like editor at large, man. Oh uh, yeah. Some king yep. shit right there. So that's a good gig. That's a good gig if you can get it. You know, speaking of uh, mods, um, I'm really excited to see what does emerge just in light of the the you know release of the royal court. The um, shogunate mod, um, which yeah, transfers yeah. everything over to Sengoku Japan, that has its own. It, it it's compatible, not just compatible with the royal court, but it it's got its own space, uh, its own costumes, its own. So uh, everything that you can do in the Royal court, you can do with the, the Shogunate mod, which is definitely worth checking out. Like you can play as Nobunaga or um, any of those uh, dime, any landed character in that uh, period of about 150 years. Um, it's so that's, it's massive. I, I, I turned it on just to see, I, I just wanted to get art to do a quick news story about it. And I mm-hmm. could not believe the number of starts that are, are there. You can also create your own uh, daimyo if you want to. Um, oh wow! So that it's an insanely full-featured mod, and I, I really am excited to see where, you know, uh, projects like the uh, Game of Thrones or Song of Ice and Fire uh, conversion go with this. Like that, there's all kinds of stuff that's going to be um, uh, emerging in the next couple of years that I think is really exciting. Yeah, the Vampire the Masquerade mod yes. has like their own. They called it the Night Court update, which I thought was pretty funny. Um, Very but, good. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm I'm picturing something else when I hear that. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, they they've showed off some of the the uh, the uh, artifacts. Like they have the Ancaran sarcophagus from Bloodlines, um, which is the design of the bonuses for it are very clever. I won't spoil the ending of Bloodlines, but if you know what is actually in the Ancaran sarcophagus, uh, the bonuses it gives you are are pretty accurate. Um, so 
Uh, yeah, I thought that was good. It's clear that they have worked with some mod, te- like they gave some mod teams some pretty early access yeah. to this stuff for them to have full 3D courts available already. Uh, and I'm glad that Paradox is doing that because that's pretty cool. Um, any final uh, interesting stories or things you maybe still want to try in Royal Court? Gosh, well, I do want to. I, there's uh, court rooms, just the spaces that I haven't seen. I I think are there five or six different varieties. There's four. There's four, a Western okay. Europe, Western European, Middle Eastern, Mediterranean, and Indian currently. I still need to kind of uh, check out some of the the Indian court. So I'm gonna. I think my next start's gonna be over there. Um, yeah. And I, I really, I think I'm just really looking forward to more of this kind of cultural hybridization, like the experimentation with that system. Um, I just, you know, honestly, Len, like I'd kind of mothballed uh, Crusader Kings since launch, just, I mean, mm-hmm. did the review and then was like, well, you know, we've got DLC probably on the way pretty soon. And I figured I'd just, you know, wait until some of that started showing up. It took a little longer than planned, um, but I I don't know. This is just such a great way to come back and start playing Crusader Kings again. Um, so that's it. I mean, I, I think really this has just re-excited me about Crusader Kings 3, and I'm, I couldn't be happier because it's, it's just a terrific game, and um, this makes it better. So, yeah. Yeah, I had like... I played a ton around launch and then I had like a very sharp drop off where I would like I'd pop into it occasionally. And then like Northern Lords, as much as everyone knows, I like Viking shit was a was a pretty small little, you know. Peak, it was it was I didn't really play that much of Northern Lords, but now since Royal since I got my hands on Royal Court, I have played more Crusader Kings 3 than I have at any time except right after launch. Um I've put like another 120 hours into it. So Okay, yeah. Yeah, it's we're, we're uh fully back in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's uh it's a good time to jump back in, for sure if you're one of those people who played it at launch and felt like, you know, you got what you wanted out of it and we're waiting for DLC. So um yeah, right. I'm excited to try some more stuff. Um there's some really crazy combinations of bonuses you can stack together if you kind of go around like uh, gotta catch them all with cultural uh cultural traits um so i've got some interesting ideas on on how to do that but uh that's it i think that's that's maybe the most exciting thing it just gets those like planning neurons firing again like oh i could do this i could try that like that that, right it all feels kind of new again and and that's just exciting i i love that I just like having that feeling about a big paradox game again. Absolutely. Um, well, that's going to do it for this week. Uh, this episode was produced by me. Um, as always, three moves ahead is hosted on the idle thumbs network. Uh, you can head over to idlethumbsnet slash three MA to check out our forums. Um, you can also uh, support us on Patreon. That is patreon.com slash three MA, which includes things like, uh, playing some video games with us if i don't know if anybody here is into video games um it's a new hot trend video games uh this year yeah 2022 i hear it's gonna be the year of video games we're finally gonna gonna make it through into the mainstream after all these years um 
yeah uh also our super secret discord server uh access you can get through there um and we are on twitter where we are at 3ma if you want to follow us on the hell site uh so we'll be back next week with another episode uh until then for ian this is lynn saying good night